Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you already know about my little adventure this past week. My hope and plan had been to go for a long drive and visit a few places around the state that I am yet to see. To have some time to think and to relax a little bit after the busyness of the Christmas season. I often find these drives to be peaceful, life-giving, relaxing, and joyful. They give me time to listen to music and think about life and think about through whatever things lie before me. I had all of these lofty and romanticized visions of my time away to draw near to God and find some quietness. The Lord and my car conspired to make different plans for me. And I think if I'm really honest, they are probably the plans that I needed much more than the ones I came up for myself. As I got close to the first stop I had planned to make, the battery light on my car came on. And being a good millennial, I googled what exactly this might mean. <laughs> and Google faithfully told me that it was probably my alternator dying. And having had more than one alternator die on me, once in inner city Chicago, I knew that this was not going to be that fun day that I had envisioned. Being the resolutely independent person that I am, I turned around and tried to drive home. And as time passed, more and more lights came on on my dashboard, <laughs> telling me that now my battery was draining. And so as I got close to the 17, I decided to be, it would be unwise if I continued to drive and called AAA to wait. So I sat and I relaxed in my car and read. But then my brain started to work, and I started to get panicky wondering how how am I going to do all the things I had hoped to do this week? And then I remembered alternators are usually a little on the expensive side. <laughs> and I thought, I had a really good budget planned for this month, and now it's completely out the window. Somewhere in this wild train of thought, I also realized that the Lord was probably trying to call me to simply trust in him, to trust that would be, everything would be okay, and perhaps to be a little vulnerable to the friends that I knew would help. I'd like to say that after all the ways that I had seen God's faithfulness in scripture and in my life, that I'm amazing at trusting him in all things. And after experiencing the incredible love of this community and the friends that I've made around town, I am good at asking for help. But more often than not, I'm not good at these things. Yet, God calls us to depend fully upon him. And so the question confronts us as this new year comes about. Will we trust in God in the little things? Will we trust in God in the big things? Will we trust God with our finances, our health, our friendships and relationships? Will we respond when God calls us to do something great, to move, to move around the world or whatever else? And so, these are good questions to start 2020. It is a good to start to resolve to do good things, like lose weight or be better with our money, to spend more time with family and friends, or to delight 
more deeply in God's great creation or whatever resolution of betterment we have made. But as Christians, one of the chief things that the new year can ask us to to think about is are we faithfully trusting in the Lord with our whole lives? Every aspect, with every aspect, or are these just an idea in our mind? In some ways, I think it is easier to trust God to do big and amazing things like moving us into another culture or across the world, but harder to trust God when we hit a little bump in the road like an alternator. I'd like to be able to tell you that I handled this adventure with all the grace in the world. I'd like to say that the panic swelled and then I took a deep breath and said, yes, Lord, I know you've got this, sat back and read the book that I had brought for a little while while I waited for the tow truck. But instead, I very much felt the sentiments of St. Teresa of Avail when she penned, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. <laughs> Teresa wrote this pithy statement, little statement after falling into a stream and being nearly swept away. And she complained to God, and God's response to her was, Do not complain, daughter. For it is ever thus that I treat my friends. I want, we want life to be easy, and we want sanctification. That is, that our sins and our brokenness and our struggles are removed without a struggle. But it rarely is. In more likelihood, as we grow, we are called all the more to step out in faith, to trust that the Lord is good even in the storms and trials that we face. And though he seems to be calling us into something hard and something mysterious, he is calling us into something that is good for us and our soul and into a deeper intimacy with him, into a more joy-filled life of faith. Such is the case with Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of God, who is the incarnate Jesus Christ, our Lord. In our gospel passage, Joseph the carpenter takes central stage. We know very little about the man. And if it were not for his position, he would just be a blip in scripture. But we know that he faithfully set to raising Jesus as his own child. In fact, later, when Christ starts his formal ministry and returns to Nazareth, everyone wonders how this carpenter's son could pre- can presume to teach with such force and such knowledge. We know when when he finds out that his fiancée was with child, that he was a righteous man, and we can assume that he was probably also kind. We can only guess what his reaction might have been in finding out that Mary was pregnant. I do not think that it would be far-fetched to assume that if he had not been righteous and kind, And if the angel had not intervened, he would not have only put Mary away, but would have put her to public shame. But even here, we are forced to hypothesize a bit based on scant evidence from the text. What we know of culture and what we know of the culture of the time. But scripture tells us he was righteous and the implication was that he was kind as well. It has also been hypothesized that Joseph died sometime between Jesus' birth and the commencement of his public ministry. This is because once Christ's ministry starts, we hear nothing of Joseph 
though occasionally Mary and his siblings appear. The the final thing that we know about Joseph is this. He was obedient to the Lord. Obedient to the Lord's calling in in his life. We see this, of course, first when he learns of Mary's pregnancy. And the angel of the Lord tells him to take Mary as his wife because she had conceived of the Holy Spirit. As we consider Joseph, we finally must take care not to read the skepticism of our age into the text, but recognize that heaven and earth were seemed or were perceived as much closer by the people of Christ's time. That is to say, they knew miracles for miracles, and it was natural to see God interacting with the world, and they knew that prayer worked. Skepticism is such a strong force in our current culture that we even see it infiltrating the church and how we approach scripture and all of life. We do not imagine that an angel might come to us with instructions, just as we do not imagine that the flutter on the water are angels flying above. This latter part comes from a story of two of my undergrad professors who were out golfing. One was the head of the biology department and the other a theologian. As they walked along, they saw a ripple across the pond, and the scientist said, Oh, look, a minnow. I suspect with a bit of excitement, knowing him. The theologian replied, Yes, perhaps, but it could have also been an angel. (laughs) In our modern times, we tend to forget how deeply interlaced the world of angels and demons are, of, of how the Holy Spirit and our soul interact, of God and man and how close we really are. Though some may scoff, miracles still happen and prayer still works, just as powerfully as it did in the time of Christ. Nonetheless, the world of Christ, the imminence of all of which is all the more prominent in the mind of Joseph and much more real in the minds of men and women, And so Joseph's obedience is not all that surprising. But it is hard to believe, it would be hard to believe that Joseph was totally calm about the situations he kept founding himself in. For it was not as though the Lord was calling him to do something simple. Still, having experienced the angel of the Lord, he faithfully stepped out and cared for Mary well and cared for her as a good husband and soon-to-be father would. Then, sometime after the famous registration of the first Christmas, Joseph is told to flee to to Egypt by another angel for the sake of the newborn baby. For Herod sought to kill the child. Again, Joseph forsook his home and presumably left behind all that he knew and fled to a foreign land just as the Lord had commanded him. And again, we can only imagine the fear that he must have had. It is scary enough to move across the country. I can't imagine running to a land with a vicious tyrant at your back, wanting to murder the baby in your care. And now we meet him yet again. This vignette we read that we read today is the last time he's mentioned by name as being actively involved in the life of Christ. Yet Joseph sets for us a model of faithfulness 
a model of trusting in the Lord's calling of his, in our lives. He had taken for himself a wife, a woman who was pregnant with child. He lived by faith as the Lord had said to him that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit and not out of immorality. He fled to Egypt on the command of the Lord, and now in his returning, he does so as the Lord has directed him. Do we have this faithfulness? Are we willing to step out and believe what the Lord has called us to do? As we think carefully about this passage this morning, we see Joseph perfectly blends two amazing things. He was faithful to God's call, and he was faithful to the duties that Scripture sets out for him. We can easily do one of those two things in our minds. We know what it means from Scripture to be a good father or a good mother, a good husband or a good wife, a good presbyter, a good man, a good woman, or a good Christian. And the Spirit will never bend what this is. But we can become so obedient in this calling that we do it not out of love for God and each other, but out of some harsh sense of duty. Or we can become so obsessed with being Spirit-driven that we lose the simple call to obedience to the Word of God. Joseph does not lose sight of this. No, the Lord tells him to return to the land of Israel, and Joseph obediently follows the command. And yet he hears that the child may still be in danger in Judea, and so he goes to a place he knows he'll be safe. We often find ourselves wanting to hear from the Lord in all things at all times, and we can overcreate. We can become obsessed with the needing of the Spirit to to answer every little question that we might have. Or Or we can give up and never pray and never ask for the Lord's guidance. A better way is the way of Joseph. Know what it means to glorify God in our calling. Are we good at math and numbers? Then use them to the glory of God. Are we a good, at, a good writer, a good thinker? Do we play music well? Do we serve the community with our loving hearts? We do these things to the glory of God. Scripture outlines perfectly clear what a good and sound Christian life looks like. And so we are called to become saturated with the word of God so that we have guidance at all times. Perhaps my favorite collect is that for Advent too which reads, Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, dear Lord, may your words so saturate my, our life that it is our life and love and total strength in all things, such that it is our very sustenance and food for living. But what of the big choices and crisis that we face in our life? We are called to start with prayer. Back to my thoughts on the age of skepticism. A simpler example of starting with prayer is this. 
if we have an ache or a pain, if we don't feel well, so often our first thing is to call the doctors. But as Christians, the first things we should do is pray. Yes, still call the doctor. Don't become one of those people that forsakes modern medicine, but do both. And when the doctor prescribes you something and you feel better, give thanks for the skill of the doctors and for modern medicine, but also for the Lord's faithfulness in healing you. It is not either or, it is both. And here is the key. Pray always about all things. Pray for the Lord's guidance throughout the day, that the Lord would introduce you to the people that you need to meet that day, that the Lord would guide you, that the Lord would show you what the day holds. Joseph models this balance for us perfectly between being completely faithful to the prompting of the Spirit and knowing what Scripture says our duty is. This is what we are called to do day in and day out. As the new year starts, perhaps the best place to start with then a resolution to eat more vegetables or to floss more is simply to ask God to help us all become more faithful, to be more aware of when and how we fail in the ways we glorify, to glorify him, to learn from these times and to trust him all the more in, the, in every aspect of our lives. My friends, we live in a scary and tumultuous world, but we serve a good and faithful God. When we hear of rumors of war and of war, of natural disasters and famine, when life throws us a curveball, when we have hardship and heartache, let us not grow despondent, but trust that the Lord has all things under control. To end my story, I made it safely back to town. And because I drive a lot, I have one of those robust towing plans that didn't cost me any more than I'd already paid. Several friends, including some of you, offered to help me and did help me. And it all worked out. And on Saturday, I was able to drive my little car to see friends from college who were on the other side of the state. In the end, despite myself, God revealed to me and reminded me of his faithfulness in all things. God reveals to us in scripture and through our lives time and again that he is faithful, that he is good, that he has given us guidance how to live, and we will faithfully and will provide faithfully provide for us in all things, even when we behave as rebunctious and faithless children. So in this coming year, may we grow and trust in the Lord in his provisions all the more. May we give him all things to him in prayer. May we become all the more saturated in his word. May we walk with the faithfulness of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In obedience to the word of God, in love for those in our lives, and in faithfulness to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.